Hey, this is Dylan Neely. We're pumped that you're joining with us today. If you're part of our King's Church family, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you via social media at King's Church KC and on our website at kingschurchkc.com, where you can learn more about taking your next step as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with other King's Church family across Kansas City. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you to follow Jesus. Let's jump into the message. We're officially in the Christmas season. 14 days we'll be celebrating Christmas together at our Christmas Eve services. And this season is a season filled with joy and family and tradition and generosity. For many of us, it's a season filled with Christ. But this season is also one filled with heartache and disappointment and pain. Matter of fact, I'm going to be talking next Sunday about finding peace in your pain. If you don't know, we're in the middle of a four-part Advent series in this Advent season. Last week, we looked at peace in his presence. This week, we're looking at peace in, and I can't tell you yet, next week, we're looking at peace in your pain. And the following week, Christmas Eve Sunday, we're looking at peace in your disappointment. I believe God's going to speak to you. And actually, I just would encourage you, invite friends and family to these services, especially next Sunday and especially Christmas Eve, I believe God's going to meet with many people through that service, through peace in your pain and peace in your disappointment. I think you probably have friends and family and neighbors who are in a place of pain or in a place of disappointment this Christmas, and God wants to speak to them about Jesus, the hope of the world. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 And so, but today I'm going to talk to you about peace in contentment. Last week, we looked at the fact that there's peace found in his presence, that you can have the life circumstances work out the way you want. You can have your financial situation the way you want. You can land the girl. You can get the job. You can be standing at the altar. You can finally have your hopes and dreams come true, but you will never, ever, ever have peace, true peace, until you find it in the presence of God himself. This week, I planned on talking to you about peace in your relationships, I plan on talking to you about that crazy family member and how you handle your relationships in the holiday with the peace of Christ on your mind and heart. But I actually felt just kind of midweek, God shifted something in me, shifted something in my mind. And I began to realize that there's this thing in our culture that will steal the joy and the peace of Christmas away from you. There's this thing that happens in our minds and our hearts that will rob us of the very peace that God is trying to give to us if we don't learn how to combat it in our lives. And I believe that thing is comparison, and the way that we fight it is with contentment in Christ and Christ alone. And so I'm going to talk to you today about peace in contentment. How many people remember being in elementary school? Just raise a hands, raise a hands. Come on. Anybody who hasn't blacked out, had amnesia, you remember elementary How many people remember... Christmas Day, opening your gifts, and you're like, man, this is amazing. I'm so grateful. I can't wait to play with my toy Tonka truck. I can't wait to play with my Barbie dolls. I can't wait to make the little makeup. I can't wait. And then you looked over, only to see your brother or sister get something that you thought was better than what you had. And all of a sudden, the comparison of what they had to what you have robbed your joy. And all of a sudden, you were mad. Why didn't I get what they got? Or how many people? You got something so cool for Christmas. And then you went to school the next week because we didn't get three weeks off. We got like four days off. You know, you went to school the next week. And you saw your friends. They're like, what'd you get for Christmas? And you're like, I got the coolest coloring book. Or I got a little toy Tonka. Or I got the little race car track. 
And you said, what did you get? And they said, I got the PlayStation 2. And you're like, I didn't get a PlayStation 2. I got the Xbox Live. You know, maybe, maybe, just depending on your age. You went to school and little Johnny said, I got the official Red Rider, carbon action, 200 shot, range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this little thing that tells time. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the only Christmas movie, folks, that ever truly existed. Come on now. You know, it's just depending on your age. And if you're like, what is that? Who is this kid? This, this is my gift to you this Christmas. Watch this movie. Like, you're missing life, okay? So, no, no, but as our 26th president of the United States once said, Teddy Roosevelt, T.D. Roosevelt, he said, comparison is the thief of joy. Turn to your neighbor and say, it'll rob your joy. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it'll take it right from you. Come on, have some fun in church. Okay. But today, it's not when you go to school. It's not when you show up at the office. It's not when you, you finally see the neighbor, hey, how was your Christmas? Today, in our digital world, with social media, you see everyone else's Christmas highlight reel 24-7, 35 days of December. Dylan, there's only 31 days in December. No, 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 because some of y'all are so crazy, you start the day before Thanksgiving celebrating Christmas, Okay. I mean, you are just enjoying the goodness of God in your own life. You're in just worshiping Jesus with our incredible band. Can you thank God for our band for a second? Come on now. You're saying, man, I thank God for my church family. I thank God for these people who are getting saved and baptized next to them. I thank God for my small group. I thank God for the friends and family in my life. I thank God. And then you get in your car and you open up Instacovet, I mean Instagram, and uh, you start scrolling You start, and maybe your kids aren't the kids, you know, they didn't get, your kids this Christmas aren't going to get the new PS30, which is $10,000 or whatever version they're on, a PlayStation, you know, but your kids are going to get the exclusive winter, truly wool socks from Walmart to keep their feet warm. And you're thinking like, man, those families, like that you've got, you know, you see their perfect family with the matching PJs and the Christmas tree brimming with presents and ornaments that cost more than your house and the homemade honey-glazed Christmas ham. Mm, You know, can I get an amen? And you know Christmas morning you're not going to be able to get your husband out of bed and your kids are going to be bickering and you're going to be microwaving bacon and pouring a bowl of cereal and that's going to be enough and you're going to have homemade Krispy Kremes that have been frozen for three weeks. You know, it's... I'm just, I don't know anybody, you know, it's like, maybe you're the working mom and you see the stay at home mom baking cookies and gingerbread houses and singing hymns. And she dresses up like Mary and has live animals to tell the nativity story to her kids. So they know the gospel in their hearts. And you think I'm not enough. I'm a failure. I'm just, I'm just grinding at work, trying to pay the bills and pay for the vacation and pay for their school. Maybe you're the stay at home mom. And you see the working mom at the holiday party with her makeup on and her hair done talking to adults. And you're like, I haven't had my hair out of a ponytail since 2019. And you're, you're drooling over the Christmas spread and the adult conversation saying, I wish I had that life. And we're all looking at each other saying, I wish I had yours and I wish I had yours and da, 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 da. And this comparison, it steals the joy of Christ right out of Christmas. And I just felt God kind of whispered in my heart this week, warn them, warn them that we don't fall into coveting and comparison, but that we actually treasure 
Christ. This Christmas, God spoke to me when I was praying with our staff a few weeks ago, right here. We pray right here every Monday and Wednesday, shifting this week to Tuesday and Thursday, in case you're curious, okay? We pray for you. We pray for our church. And God kind of showed me this picture of people out in the desert digging wells. And if you've been the last couple weeks, I've shared this. Okay, if you haven't been the last couple weeks, just nod your head like you've heard it. So no one knows you've been skipping church, okay? So, but I saw this picture of God, God, people out in this desert digging wells. And God said to me, don't, the, the world is caught up in a frenzy of activity. But may King's Church be a church where people dig wells into Christ. We, we dig wells to the river of living water where we, we actually seek Christ and go deep in him this Christmas. We don't get caught up in the rat race. I mean, studies have proven the more we compare, the less satisfied we are. Shocker, okay? Some believe that it's ne- comparison's never been a bigger problem, that never before have we had so much and wanted so much more. One of the wealthiest countries, the wealthiest times in the history of the world. And we run around trying to curate these perfect experiences, these perfect parties, these perfect moments, the perfect gift. We run ourselves ragged in December. All the stuff, all the activity, all the money. And then January, people have a Christmas hangover. You know, you wake up, before I knew Jesus, after drinking and partying, and you go, where am I? What did I do last night? Why do I feel so sick? What, what happened? Okay, people wake up in January in our culture, and they go, where am I? What happened last month? Who, who are these people? Where's all my money? You know, like, what's this little toy plastic thing that's going to end up in a junkyard? You know, it's like, how much did I spend? Researchers surveyed students from two universities studying their feelings after scrolling Facebook for about 30 minutes. More than one-third felt significantly worse, citing envy as the source of their depression after 30 minutes on Facebook. The 10th commandment in the Bible is, thou shall not covet. Two others, I believe, are connected to that. Number one, don't commit adultery. How do you commit adultery? Because you start believing the grass is greener on the other side. You stop being grateful for what God has given you, and you start chasing after something that God hasn't given you. That source of adultery is found in coveting. The other thing is do not steal. Don't take what's not yours. Why? Because, again, you're not grateful. You're not satisfied. You're not fulfilled in what Christ has given you. I believe this sin of coveting and this place of contentment is the place God wants to bring us to today. Freedom from that and actually a life of peace found in Christ alone. I believe there's three types of discontentment that we all struggle with at some place or time in our life. Number one is material and financial. You're driving your hoopty. Like my dented up 2013 Toyota Sienna with stars and hearts carved in it by my child's rock painting on our car. And you see their brand new Lexus. You see the brand new Cadillac. Like when I was a kid, my dad had the busted up $500 truck, the rust bucket where the windows wouldn't roll down and you couldn't get the, and we'd drive to school and say, drop me three blocks away, please, for the love of God, if you love me at all. Don't let them see me in this. And my buddy had his dad's Cadillac 300 that he'd roll up in, you know, just like rolling out in a full suit almost to school. You know, it's just like, maybe it's material and financial. Maybe you see the post of her gingerbread house with her kids, and they're so happy and matching PJs. And you don't see the PJs or the gingerbread. You look past all that and see her countertops and her cabinets and the lighting fixtures. Oh, if I just had a kitchen like that, then I could be happy. Maybe you have more shoes than Nike in your closet. I don't know, okay? Just... But there's material and financial coveting. There's relational 
Relational discontentment, maybe you feel like, man, I, I saw the party they had, and why wasn't I invited? I feel alone. I feel left out. Maybe you want to be married, and you're not married, and all your friends seem to be married. Maybe you get invited to the 14th baby gender reveal party this month, and you're like, man, God, where is the joy of my life that I'm supposed to have. Maybe you're just like, man, I want to have fun with my kids and da 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 da. Maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe it's material and financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe your discontentment is circumstantial. Maybe you're just like, God, I thought I'd be somewhere else than where I am today in life. Somebody said this. They said, life is 10% what happens to you, 90% of how you respond. I believe many of us live like the opposite of true. Life is 90% what happens to me, 10% how I risk. No, no, it's 10% what happens to you. It's 90% of what you respond. The Apostle Paul, writing from the Roman prison, with shackles around his hands and his feet, night and day, penned these words to the church in Philippi. This is where we're heading today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. If you have a Bible, open it with me. Philippians chapter 4. And if you'll stand to your feet to honor the reading of God's word. That was the longest introduction in the history of King's Church. Okay. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. We're going to read it together. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Okay, let me say it this way. You will always battle with discontentment until you let Christ be all that you need. You'll never realize Christ is all that you need until Christ is all that you have. As long as you're looking and longing for something more, something else other than Christ, your heart will never truly be at peace. If I could just ask you to take stock of your life right now. What is it materially, relationally, circumstantially that you're lying to yourself and saying, man, if I just had that, if I just had this, then I'd have joy, then I'd have peace, then life would be better, then my family could finally settle, then I could finally rest. No, no, no. What God said in his word is that Christ is enough for you. If you're hungry, if you're full, if you've got nothing, if you've got a lot, if you've got an abundance, if you've got poverty, Christ can be and is enough for you if you'll let him be. So what, what is it in your, we all have something, what is it in your life that you're believing the life I just had fill in the blank? What is it for you? If you'll answer that question, I believe God can really minister to you today. Christ is the light of the world. He's the light of all mankind. He is the bread of life. And until you feed on him, your heart will always be hungry for something more. He is the water that will satisfy your thirsty soul. I love the way Isaiah chapter 55 says it. He says this, come everyone who thirsts. Turn to your neighbor and say everyone. everyone. Everyone who thirsts. We're all thirsty for more in life. And I'm not talking about thirsty the way the Gen Z's talk about. I'm talking about thirsty. You want to drink a water, okay? Get your mind out of the gutter. Okay, so come everyone who thirsts. Are you thirsty for Christ this morning? Or are you looking for something else to give you the water of life? It never can. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. This doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to give to the legacy offering to find contentment in Christ. Some people tell you, you just give enough, you just pray enough, you just serve enough. No, no. Christ is enough. All that we do is an overflow of what he has already done for us. 
And until your heart is content in him, you'll never be able to open your hands and your heart to him. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He, it's a free gift. Salvation from God is a gift to you. You don't have to pay for it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't go to church enough, pray enough, serve enough. Give. You cannot do anything to earn the gift of salvation. It's a free gift from God. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. His crimson stains have made me as white as snow. This is incredible truth that we can come to God. We can sit at God's table, eat God's food, drink God's drink by, as a free gift of God because Jesus paid the price. For us, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? It's a question we would do well to answer today. Why do we get on the rat race and pursue a life that will never truly satisfy us? Listen diligently to me, God says, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. There's a table before you this Christmas. There's a table before you right now. There's a table before you for the rest of your life. It says, David says in Psalm 23, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Whatever you're facing this December, whatever you're facing in life, God has a table, a feast before you. You can come satisfy yourself in Christ and Christ alone. Incline your ear to me, hear his voice, and come to him, be in his presence. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David, God's love is everlasting. It's fixed. It's a covenant. It's a promise. It's, it's here for you for the taking if you'll just decide Christ is enough for me. What lie are you believing? What are you looking to? What are you searching for in this life? What rat race have you been on? I'll be honest with you. Some of y'all, is busyness. You've been too busy for God. You haven't had time for church. You haven't had time for the word. You haven't had time for prayer. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just trying to say, can you slow down? Can you reprioritize? Can, can you just come and recognize, man, God, I have forsaken you for all my other priorities. People say, I don't have time. We all got 24 hours in a day. What are you doing with the life that God has given you? Christ alone will satisfy. But I want my kids to succeed, and I want them to have this and that and this and that. I want to set my life up. I want to pursue my career. I want to fit it. What greater blessing can you give yourself and those around you than to have Christ at the center of your heart and your life? There is none. We will all stand before him. This life is but a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. Everything in this life is just leading to that day where we stand before God. Are you prepared for that moment or not? So through Christ's strength, I believe there's five things that we can do to grow content in Christ this Christmas. If you're taking notes, write it down. Number one, we will kill comparison. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says this. We do not dare to classify ourselves. Follow with me. This gets wordy. Or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. Dylan, what? Let's do it again. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. It's a comparison game. Compare, 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 compare. They are not wise. Wisdom, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the beginning, the foundation of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. When you compare yourselves with others, you're not walking in the fear of God. You're not walking in the knowledge of God. You're walking a fool's path. 
but God, I don't have that, and I don't have this, and I want this, and I want that, and the grass is greener over there. My yard's full of weeds. Well, why don't you start pulling the weeds and praising God for what he's given, and maybe, just maybe, the grass will get a little greener on your side. Maybe, just maybe, you'll experience the presence of God in the middle of your pain. You'll experience the grace of God, the goodness of God, even when you're looking at life going, God, why not this? Why not that? Why this? Why? You can experience the knowledge, the good, the peace, the love of Jesus, no matter what this life throws at you. I remember when I was a kid, in my mom's backyard, we had one of those little 12-inch, you know, three-foot-by-three-foot plastic pools. You know what I'm talking about? The Walmart special, 15 bucks? Come on, somebody. That was my childhood. That was the glory days. You know, we'd get the hose out, just drink water out of that hose, get every sort of disease you could, you know, and then we'd, we'd fill the pool and then drink some more water. And that pool was amazing. We splashed and played, and the dogs splashed and played, and We'd, we'd rip off bottle rockets from their sticks, and we'd light them and throw them in the pool. Zip, you know, it was just the best. Those were the glory days of my childhood. And then my, my dad, he saved enough money, worked hard, saved enough money, built one of those four-foot-tall steel metal pools and built a deck around it, made it real fancy, you know. And, and we were like, man, this is incredible. I can swim circles. I can actually swim. Like, <laughs> like if I sit right, my feet don't touch. This is amazing. You know, I got my back massage from the little pool jet. Just, mm. <laughs> I was in luxury as a 15-year-old. And then, 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 my neighbors, my neighbors, they built a beautiful fence, got an in-ground pool with a diving board. And my sibling says to my dad, why don't we have one of those? And you could just feel the, like, you ungrateful. You know, no, my dad's, my dad's an amazing man. He didn't do that. But this comparison game kills joy. You can, have very, you can have the plastic pool that's 12 inches deep and have more joy than the person with the in-ground pool if you'll just thank God for what he's given you in your life. We were just in Nepal, me, myself, and seven other people from our church. We were visiting our churches there, serving them, being served by them, being encouraged by their faith. And people so little live in mud huts, don't have running water. Some of us, oh, I just wish I could get out of this little shack and get a nice house like them. What if we just say, oh, God, thank you. Thank you for the blessing in my life. Thank you that I get a warm shower. Thank you that I have water. I can open a tap and put it in a cup and just drink it right away. Most of the people in the world don't have this. God, thank you for your blessings in my life. It's not just when you're a kid. It happens as an adult. Even to this day, I pull up to my kid's school, if I'm honest with you. Material stuff, it's, it's one of the places my heart gets discontent. I pull up to my kid's school in our hoopty, and I see all the nice cars, and it's so easy for me to feel embarrassed. It's easy for me to feel like, God, I wish I just had that. And God has just been dealing with me. I mean, my wife's amazing. She's so content with what we have. And I've so many times been like, let's just trade this thing in and get something nicer. Who cares? We spend a little money. She's like, dude, I don't care. I just don't care. There's nothing in her that cares. I'm the one who's like, there's chocolate milk stains on the cloth seats. It's driving me bananas. And God has been dealing with, Dylan, be content in Christ in Christ alone. Watch how dangerous this game is. James chapter 3, verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, so-called wisdom, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is not just some game. It's not just help me be more content. Okay, on with the holidays. No, no. This is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is, this is anti-God. 
This will train wreck your faith. It will train wreck your life. You know how many marriages I've seen fall apart? People who love Jesus, love their family because they grew discontent. They stopped being grateful for what God had given them. They started to lust after the potential of someone else. Do you know how many people I have seen train wreck their lives because they just felt like, man, I just wish I had a little more fun, a little more luxury, a little... People who have essentially denied God with their living because they said, I'm not going to entrust God with all that I have, but I'm just going to live, you know, YOLO, only live once. Like, no, YOLT, you only live twice, once now and once for eternity. (laughs) This one's preparing for that one. YOLT, you know, like... Shout it from the rooftops, okay? So it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder. How many people would say a good amen? Man, I've seen some disorder when there's envy. We're just running on the rat race. Life gets chaotic because you're chasing something God hasn't given you. And every evil practice. How do we fight it? Five steps. Number one, kill comparison. Some of y'all need to take a social media break. Hide the feet of people who trigger envy and comparison and coveting in your heart. Stop ordering magazines that just make you drool over a life you don't have. Stop watching HGTV. Don't go to the boat show. Don't go to the gun show. You know, I, I like a boat. If you can afford it, great. But, but don't just drool over a life you don't have that's producing sin in your heart. Number two, celebrate others' blessings. Okay, your marriage isn't going well. You look on Instagram, they're so happy. Rejoice. You just want a camping trip in the woods that costs $300 and they're snowmobiling in the Arctic. You know, it's just like, okay, good for you. Rejoice in their blessings. The friend gets the job you wanted. The guy marries the girl you wanted. The, the, the friend has the holiday, whatever. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Commit to yourself. I refuse to take on a jealous spirit. I will rejoice when God blesses someone else because the Bible commands me to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Let me get real with you. Rebecca and I, about six, seven years ago in our marriage, I hit a place of discontentment. My mind started to wander after someone else. And through through actually Rebecca having a dream where she asked me, Dylan, are you thinking about this person? which is just a, a grace from God to me. And I was forced to fork in the road moment to say, yes, I am, and be honest with her. No, I'm not, and lie to her, and then breed lies in our marriage. So I said, yeah, I am. Called my mentor to get accountability. I said, what do I do? It's been months. I've been trying to shake this thought. can't shake this thought. He quoted Martin Luther to me. I didn't know it was Martin Luther at the time. He said, Dylan, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. And I was like, John, you're 70. What does that mean? You know? <laughs> And uh, he's like, Dylan, you got to take every thought captive. And I was like, all right, John. He's like, uh, you know, John Wayne. He's just, he just rocks up in a town with a pistol in his hand and like, Jesus. You know, that's, that's kind of that's how John is. But um, he really walked with me through that. He said, Dylan, you need to start a gratitude journal. You need to thank God for your wife again. She's as amazing and good as she's ever been. But you need to get your mind fixed on her again. Stop, one, stop daydreaming about what you don't have. Start thanking God for what you do have. And, a few weeks into that, maybe a month into that, just praising God for my wife, thanking God for my wife, trying to reinitiate pursuit of my wife. I'd grown quite lazy in our marriage. 
a few weeks, months into that, something sparked in my heart. I felt love again. We say it all the time. The emotion follows the motion. You got to make a decision to love. You got to make a decision to serve. You got to make a decision to open your hands to God. And when you do, the emotion follows the motion. Some of y'all, you've stopped giving thanks and you've started to believe the lie. The grass is greener on the other side. I believe God wants to speak to you today. No, no, cultivate gratitude in your heart. Celebrate others' blessings and give thanks for all that God has given to you. Number three, open your heart and your hands to God. I've been a pastor 11 years. Uh, The first few years, I tried to get people to join and stay at our church because my identity was caught up in their attendance. Uh, Matter of fact, my first year as a pastor, our church was about 300, 350 people. And I thought within a year, it'll be 3,000 because I'm just a baller, you know? And and, uh, I seriously kind of had all these daydreams about how big the church was going to get and all the things that were going to happen. And, you know, people would look at me, wow, how'd you do it? You're amazing. And and didn't realize how self-centered, how conceited that was until uh, one year, 112 people joined our church, 108 people left our church. And all the leaving conversations were, what's wrong? Why don't you stay? Can we get you to... And God really convicted me in that moment that it was about me and my kingdom, not about him and his kingdom. And that I had somehow attached my identity to their attendance, that somehow them being a part of our church gave me significance instead of finding my significance in Christ. And God convicted me. He wrecked me. He did a work in my heart. Psalm 133 became one of my life verses during that season, that where brothers dwell in unity, there God commands a blessing. I learned to rejoice in the growth of his church, not the growth of my church, which means even if that church or this church were to shrink or die, I can rejoice because Jesus, the king of his church, is building his church all across our city. I stopped finding my identity in your attendance, which means honestly, From the bottom of my heart, if you leave our church, I will help you. I'll recommend other great churches in our city to you because this is about Jesus and his kingdom, not about mine or your little kingdom. And and I just want to read this uh, passage to you because I've seen this in a lot of people's lives. Uh, You know, control is rooted in fear. You're afraid of what you won't have, whether it's money, whether it's relationships. You try and control that which you're afraid of or afraid of losing. And so I see a lot of good-hearted people. They try and control everyone around them because they're afraid. What if these people leave me? What if they stop loving me? And they control, control, control. And it ends up destroying everything in their life. This is what Proverbs says. It says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. When you open your hands to God, he opens the heavens over your life. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel, but there is a type of prosperity that comes, a richness in God when you give your life to him. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. I think this is the only time I've ever quoted the message translation in my sermon. So forgive me, all you conservative Bible people. I'm with you. But I love how the message puts this one. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Open your heart and your hands to God, and I believe he will increase your world. Number four, we cultivate gratitude. All the days of the afflicted, Proverbs 15 says, are evil But the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Did you know you can have the hoopty, you can have the janky house, you can have the small Christmas, you can have a small life in the world's eyes, but you can have a continual feast. 
And you can have all the stuff, all the relationships, all the money, all the prosperity, and you can have an afflicted life that feels like evil, depending on how you view your life. God wants to help you cultivate generosity in your heart. Gratitude changes everything. Everything. This week in our basement, a plumbing issue occurred (laughs) underneath the floor that we just remodeled last year. Pipes that I had inspected to make sure they were good before we put a tile floor on. Did due diligence, still happened. And I was so tempted to complain. Matter of fact, I started to, like this building, because we've had a lot of issues that we've had to fix that we've kind of discovered along the way. And in the middle of the conversation with our plumber, who's an amazing guy, who's a part of our church, I stopped myself, I'm going to rejoice, I'm going to give thanks for all that God has given us. I thank God that we have a building to meet in. I thank God that we even have a building that we're able to have a plumbing issue in. I thank God we have a place for people to gather and meet Jesus. And it just changes everything. Our minivan, dusted, rented, stained seats. It means the fact that I own a car. We own two. means I'm in the top 5% of the world economically. There's people that came to our Christmas store yesterday. Their prayer request was, I just need a car so I can get to work. God has answered that prayer in my life. I have reason to give thanks. Gratitude will change your perspective. It will change your life. Solomon, the richest man of all time, said, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The NLT says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't. John D. Rockefeller, the founder of Standard Oil Company, the first billionaire in the United States and one of the richest men ever on the earth, asked by, was asked this question by a reporter. He said, John D. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? He calmly replied, just a little bit more. One of the richest men, the richest men of his time, just a little bit more money will be enough for me. I'm tired of my car. Life is crazy. My house is small. I don't like my job. Fill in the blank with what you're discontent with. The Apostle Paul comes in and says this, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, situation. I can do all this through Christ, say it with me, who gives me strength. Through Christ's power, we can kill comparison. We can cultivate gratitude. We can be content in Christ alone. Number five, if you pursue Christ above all else, you will have contentment. Don't let comparison steal your joy, church. Don't let the comparison rob you of the peace that Christ wants to give you. Remind yourself what we looked at two weeks ago, to rejoice always. Make a choice to rejoice, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances. And when you're tempted to look over the fence and compare your life with theirs, kill comparison by rejoicing in the blessing of God and thanking God for all that you have. Christ is enough for you. He's the treasure above all treasures. His love is a perfect love. His peace is a perfect peace. If you seek him and love him and trust him and look to him and behold him this Christmas, you'll have a peace that surpasses all understanding.